Uh, we continue our journey. This is the fifth of nine uh, sermons on the first part of the book of Acts. And I'm very thankful that you are with us this morning. Directory pictures will be taken following the service today in the foyer. If you haven't done that yet, please do that. Blood pressure checks will also uh, be offered in the library following this service. And I would just throw this out there. We've had several stories of people that were um, part of this blood pressure check program first Sunday of the month that it kind of discovered maybe there's something you need to get checked out with your doctor. Turned out to be a bigger issue, and they were able to prevent really a tragedy from happening. So just take advantage of it, even if you're young and you're fit and you're saying, I don't need my blood pressure checked. You probably do, and hopefully it will confirm that everything is great. Um, I want to say a word about Little Galilee Camp. Uh, this was my 18th straight year working with a week of 5th and 6th grade camp. I think this church and the, the ministry staff of this church have had leadership of this week of camp for something like 25 years. Ernie was the dean for years and years and years. And this year we had 129 fifth and sixth grade students. It was an awesome, awesome week. Uh, Cody and Allison from our staff were co-deans. They did an incredible job. They, they really represented the church well in leadership of that week of camp. But the best part of the week of camp was what happened on Wednesday night and Thursday night and then Friday at one o'clock when 34 fifth and sixth graders made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. 20 of them were baptized at 1 o'clock Friday at the pool, and the other 14 are being baptized this morning or sometime this week or in the weeks that follow at their home church. So you should be really excited about that. I can't remember the last time I was in a place where there were 20 baptisms that took place. Really cool, very, very moving, and you should be very proud of Cody and Allison and really everybody from this church that helped. Little Galilee is a hidden gem in our backyard. I think we take it for granted a lot of times, and uh, I'm just so thankful for uh, how, how the Lord really moved this week. It's also uh, ability for me to transition into the reminder that your children and grandchildren can go to camp at Little Galilee, and our church will pay half the tuition. And if you don't know how to do that, look me up, or Cody, or Adam, or Samuel, and we'll get them signed up. There's uh, six more weeks of camp, and let's take advantage of this great blessing right here in our backyard. We continue to ask you to pray for our community, and especially the power plant situation uh, with HRC closing, and also some of the reduction in services that could happen with the Friendship Center. We really need to just take it to the Lord. I'm praying every morning at 6.17 a.m., and I'm asking you to pray either at 6.17 a.m. or 6.17 p.m. for our community, and just pray that God will act in a great and mighty way. He can do anything He wants to, but also pray that we will uh, we'll seize the day, whatever happens. If it stays open, if it closes, if, uh, if it's good days ahead or it's really tough days ahead, that we'll be the church and that we'll rise up as Christians and, um, and, and we'll look for opportunities to minister in the name of Jesus Christ. This sermon series really has its roots way back in the month of March when we studied uh, the words of Jesus on the cross. We looked at Erwin Lutzer's book, Cries from the Cross, and uh, a series entitled Crosswords. And then following Easter, we looked at some of the post-resurrection teachings of Jesus. What did Jesus say after the resurrection, before the ascension? The month of May was prayer month. We studied the book Extreme Prayer uh, by Greg Pruitt from PBT. And we learned how can we be better praying Christians? How can we be better praying families? How can we be a better 
praying church and a better praying community. And then beginning June 5, uh, four weeks ago, we launched into a look at the first part of the book of Acts. And really the launching verse, the jumping off verse, is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus, right before his ascension, according to Luke, in the book of Acts, said this to his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the first four sermons really looked at what, how were they witnesses in Jerusalem. We looked at Acts chapter 2, the birthday of the church, the day of Pentecost. We looked at Acts chapters 3 and 4, and the power in the name of Jesus. How Peter and John, guys that were hiding behind locked doors following the death of Jesus, they're hiding no more. They're out there, they're preaching, they're proclaiming Jesus, and there's power in this name of Jesus. And it doesn't matter if they're talking to crowds It doesn't matter if they're preaching to the Sanhedrin, the most powerful religious leaders in the first century world. They're proclaiming the name of Jesus. They're saying radical things like salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name given to men by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. People are like, wow. Some people like it. A lot of people don't. Peter and John are saying, we don't care what you think. We don't care what you do. We're going to obey God instead of man. Two weeks ago, we looked at generosity in Acts chapters 4 through 6 and how these first Christians were incredibly generous. Guys like Barnabas, Barnabas means son of encouragement, they would sell property and they'd give all the money to the church and it said that there was no one within the movement that had a need because of the generosity of these first Christians. But we also saw the curse of generosity. A couple we don't know much about, Ananias and Sapphira, they were connected to to the way, they were connected to these first Christians, but they wanted to be like Barnabas, but they didn't want to pay the price. So they sold a piece of property, and they gave part of it to, to the church, which would be awesome, except they said, we gave all of it to the church. They lied not just to Peter and John and the others, they lied to the Holy Spirit, and they both dropped dead. And then starting last week, the first of three weeks looking at individuals and what made them unique. Last week we looked at Stephen and we looked at his boldness and Stephen's the first Christian martyr. Next week we're going to look at this guy named Saul. Saul was a persecutor of Christians. But for today we're looking at a guy named Philip. And, and a message entitled, Time to Hit the Road. Philip is one of the seven that are mentioned in Acts chapter 6. There was ministry needs that were being neglected. Widows were being overlooked. And so Peter and John and the other brothers said, we can't let this neglect continue. So we need to raise up from within us people that will take care of this ministry need. And two of the seven were Stephen, who we looked at last week, and Philip, who we're going to look at this week. And so today's message, Time to Hit the Road, looks at Philip and what was unique about Philip. And just like the first four weeks, I'm going to give you four kind of jumping off points, four points, four takeaways, and then we'll turn practical. Number one is this. It's not even from Acts chapter 8. It's really just a reminder for all of us. And it's this. Christianity at its core is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christianity at its core is not a list of things that we have to do. It's not a bunch of rules. It's not, it's not a formula. It's not, I go to church, and I put money in the offering, and I pray once a week, and I do good deeds, and I'm going to go to heaven. That's not what Christianity is all about. There's a lot of religions. If you studied world religions, you would find religions that are very systematic. Do this, 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 and you're good to go. That's not what Christianity is all about. Christianity is about a person, Jesus Christ. 
and the difference that this person makes. Paul summarizes what the gospel is really all about, I think incredibly well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He calls it of first importance. He says that here's what the gospel is all about, that Jesus Christ died, and he was buried in the tomb, and on the third day he rose again. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the story of Jesus Christ. So what's that mean? Here's what it means. It means that Jesus saves. Jesus saved. Salvation is found in Jesus. Every morning at camp, we would gather the the students around and and the faculty around, and we would learn a memory verse. And this week, we memorized some of the I am statements of Jesus. I am the bread of life, and I am the light of the world, and I am the good shepherd. And Friday morning, last morning of camp, we did John 14, 6, which fits right in with this. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so because of that, this good news, this gospel of Jesus Christ, we can find freedom in Jesus Christ. This is Freedom Weekend. We're going to celebrate freedom. Hopefully it's going to stop raining and there's going to be parades tomorrow and there's going to be celebrations and fireworks and you know we're going to have people telling us trivia that like John Adams and Thomas Jefferson both died on the 4th of July 50 years later and all of that kind of stuff and we're going to revel in the fact that we live in the land of the free and we should. I mean, today, right now, all over the world, Christians are gathering for worship, and they have to do it in secret. They do it under the threat of persecution. So it's awesome that we live in the land of the free. I love freedom. I'm thankful that I can do whatever I want to do this afternoon, and I'm not going to be arrested for reading my Bible. I'm not going to be arrested for having a faith conversation. But we can't miss the fact that the freedom that we have in Christ is so much superior to any freedom that we have from a national standpoint. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, that we have freedom from sin. We have freedom from despair. We have hope. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is really all about at its core. So that leads us to number two, and to my man Philip, and what we're going to study today, Philip takes the gospel on the road. And I'm going to be reading verses 4 through 8 in Acts chapter 8. It says, those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You may remember that Stephen, when he was martyred last last week, we looked at the end of Acts chapter 7, beginning of Acts chapter 8. Stephen is martyred, and the effect of that martyring is that disciples are sent literally all over Judea and Samaria. So it's a bad thing that Stephen was a martyr. It's a bad thing that persecution came upon the church, but it's a good thing in that the gospel is going literally all over the first century world, Judea and Samaria. And Philip takes the word to to Samaria. Verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, And many paralytics and cripples were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Samaria, not exactly what I would call friendly territory. Now, Samaria, this is the the land that was occupied by the ten northern tribes. If you go back to the Old Testament, you read your Old Testament history, you would see that these are the ten northern tribes. Following the reign of King Solomon, there's this split, there's this civil war, you've got the northern kingdom, you've got the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, this is that land of Samaria. 
but they weren't really locked into the word of God like many in the South were. They, they practiced, practiced intermarrying with other people, which was forbidden in the Old Testament times. And as a result of that, many people looked down on Samaria. Many people looked down on Samaritans. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? It was like a stunning story that Jesus told that here's these two religious Jewish leaders that won't help this person, but an evil, awful Samaritan will. Philip's going to Samaria, and he's preaching the good news in a hostile territory. And it's a reminder for us in 2016 that the good news of Jesus Christ needs to be shared in both friendly and challenging locations. We live in the Bible Belt. If you were to do a little survey this afternoon and figure out how many independent Christian churches are within seven miles of our building, you would be stunned to learn how many there are. There are churches literally everywhere. Now, the sad thing is there's a whole bunch of people that don't know Jesus, so we got work to do. But if you were to go to the Pacific Northwest, you would find that that's a pretty unchurched region. If you were to go to New England, you would find that that's a pretty unchurched region. In New England, people are driving sometimes 25, 30, 35 miles to find a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Jim Turney from our congregation is leading a ministry at a church in Connecticut. It's a much different context that we have here in Clinton and Central Illinois. Jacob Vangan. A recent graduate of Johnson University is going to serve a church in Rhode Island. It's a much different context. And so we can't lose sight of the fact that even though we live in the Bible Belt, there's needs literally all over the world and all over our country, and many of those are unchurched, challenging locations. Philip takes the gospel on the road. Number three, Philip is Christ's ambassador to all, even the powerful and the famous. Last week as we concluded, my challenge for us was to really live out, to embrace that call that the Apostle Paul had for the Christians in Corinth. Remember what it was? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. An ambassador is not someone who, who makes legislation. They create law. An ambassador is merely a mouthpiece. They are merely someone who takes a ruling, they take a law, and they communicate it to to a group of people. We're called not to create the gospel. We're not called to make up truth. We're called to create uh, a mouthpiece, to create an opportunity to speak truth. And Philip is Christ's ambassador, even in this case, to the powerful and the famous. We're going to read about one particular individual that he encounters in a city in Samaria. Verse 9 says, Now, for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and had amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. He was a big dog. People looked at him and said, wow, he's impressive. That's Simon. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished 
by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Simon the sorcerer was, was a big dog. He's impressive. But he was no match for the power of Jesus Christ. His magic that he was doing, his sorcery that he was doing, could not stand up to the message of Jesus Christ. Again, Philip is preaching the name of Jesus. He's preaching the hope of Jesus. And people are literally falling all over themselves to say, I, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be baptized. Simon the sorcerer, no match for the power of Jesus Christ. And so here's our takeaway in 2016. The good news of Jesus Christ does not discriminate on the basis of stuff, on the basis of prestige. It doesn't matter how much stuff you have or how little stuff you have. It doesn't matter which side of the tracks that you came from. It doesn't matter if you hold office or if you're considered very low in society. The good news of Jesus Christ does not discriminate. And I'm just going to jump off for a minute. I've just got to get on a soapbox for, for a moment. Some of you have asked why at times I've had some harsh words for some of the, the prosperity gospel preachers. For some of the people that say, just love Jesus more and money's coming your way. Just love Jesus more and health is coming your way. And this is a, a big reason why right here. Because what we end up doing is we really start setting up a, a stair step of priority in the kingdom of heaven. And uh, I'll tell you, some of the, the strongest Christians that I've ever met, people that love the Lord, a faith I wish I had, I found in places like the Dominican Republic. Fourth fourth poorest country in the western hemisphere places like northeast india where um you know it's just dangerous at times to be a christian and so we see right here this idea that um, people are drawn whether they're powerful or not now i'm going to take a quick time out from the sermon to kind of connect some dots this is about philip so i'm not preaching the whole chapter you should spend some time this afternoon or this evening reading verses 14 to 25, what ends up happening? Peter and John are in Jerusalem and they hear about all that's happening in Samaria. So they say, Peter and John, go check it out. And Peter and John come and they're going to impart the gift of the Holy Spirit on the people. Simon the sorcerer finds out about that. He does something really crazy. He says, Peter, let me buy the power of the Holy Spirit. Bad idea. And it's a bad situation. And Peter really throws down some, uh, some tough words of condemnation to Simon the sorcerer, really questions his motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? Not part of our sermon today, but part of the narrative. Check it out if you have some free time. Because what is next is number four. Philip explains the gospel to a confused seeker via divine appointment. Look at verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so Philip started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now, a eunuch is someone that has been castrated, and usually many of the eunuchs did it intentionally. And you might think, why in the world would anyone do that? That, that, that's not something that I connect with. Understand, this isn't someone that's lost his mind. This isn't someone that's out of his mind. This is an incredibly powerful person. He's in charge of the treasury of Queen Candace, of the Ethiopians. So he really is a big deal. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. 
The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot, stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can he, I said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture, and you can find this in Isaiah 53. It's the suffering servant passage. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. This is a prophecy from Isaiah about Jesus 700 years before Jesus was born. And this this Ethiopian eunuch's reading it, and he can't figure it out. The eunuch said to Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. And he told them the good news about Jesus. He used it as a launching point to say, well, let me tell you about this guy named Isaiah. Let me tell you about Isaiah 53. Let me tell you about the suffering servant. Let me tell you about Jesus. What exactly he told them about Jesus, we don't know. Maybe he went Walter Scott on him, one of the founding fathers of the Restoration Movement. Maybe he talked to him all about believing and repenting and confessing and being baptized and living the Christian life. We don't know, but it must have been a pretty thorough explanation of Jesus and how one becomes a follower of Jesus. Because look what's next. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in the towns, all the towns, until he reached Caesarea. And so what we see here is we see an Ethiopian eunuch who is desperately seeking truth. He's desperately seeking truth. Why would you be reading some religious scroll written 700 years ago? Why would that happen? Because he's desperately seeking truth. Can I tell you our world, can I tell you our community is chocked full of people desperately seeking truth truth. And I say this humbly, Uh, please don't be offended by this, many of them are looking in all the wrong places. Many of them are traveling down roads that will lead to nothing but heartbreak and despair. But we have generations of people desperately seeking truth. And maybe that's why God has you here in church today. You need to read Acts 8, you need to hear this story. Maybe you're desperately seeking truth. Or maybe you have someone in your world and they're just searching. They're struggling. They're questioning. And maybe just maybe God is saying to you, like Philip explained to the Ethiopian eunuch, will you be that person that helps uncover the truth? Second thing that just grabbed me here is this Bible study that they have in this chariot, it leads to an immediate conversion. The eunuch didn't say, well, you know, my mom's back home and I got some second cousins that I'd like to to visit the baptism experience. Uh, He said, there's water. Let's go. I'm ready. I'm all in. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I think it's great to have a thorough study of what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I really do. 
I think sometimes churches have really erred in just rushing to get people into the baptistry as quick as possible, and maybe they don't really understand everything that's a part of it. But I think, sadly, for some of us, we can continue to put off for tomorrow what we really think God might be calling us to do today. And the eunuch said, hey, I'm not waiting. There's a river, there's a lake, there's something, there's water. It's time to get baptized. Immediate conversion. So what do we do with this? What what do we do with this text? I've got three challenges and really three words that I kind of want to plant in your mind as you look at Philip and taking the gospel on the road and taking the gospel to hostile context. And number one is this take, is it time for a road trip? What do you mean, Greg? Are you saying I should go to the Dominican Republic? Are you saying I should go to India? Are you saying I have to go on a mission trip? Well, you probably should go on a mission trip. You'd be blessed if you did. But um, you can take the gospel, you know, uptown to Snappers. You can take the gospel to Coffee Corner. You can take the gospel to the break room at Caterpillar or State Farm. You can take the gospel to your 4th of July cookout. You can take your gospel to the dinner table. You can take the gospel to the locker room. I'm not saying be obnoxious. I'm not saying... um, be so crazy for Jesus that people want nothing to do with you. But I think sometimes um, we put off for tomorrow what God might be calling us to do today. Will you take the gospel on the road? Second, talk. Stretch yourselves to this arena of having faith conversations. You never know the direction a faith conversation will go. I think sometimes we don't give non-Christians enough credit. I mean, think about it like this. If you really are, are, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you give a, a certain percentage of your money to the church and to the ministries that take place, and you're going every Sunday, and you're in a small group, and, and you never talk about it, you never mention it, your, your non-Christian friends are probably thinking, you know, what is going on? Why won't they share more? What is so secretive that my friend, my sibling, my my father, my son won't share with me? Faith conversations can lead to transformed lives. One of my favorite parts of being a minister is meeting with people that don't have all the answers but know they need something and, and being able to have, sometimes it's over a period of weeks or even months, conversations that help people better understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that leads us to number three here. Teach, will you help people better understand the truth? Will you help people better understand the truth? This is an area where I think a lot of times Christians get really uncomfortable and they say, well, you know, what if I get asked a question that I can't answer? You know what you say? I don't know the answer but I'm going to find out. I don't don't know how to respond to that, but I'm going to find out. Don't make something up. Don't just go off the cuff. But another way that you can do that is say, you know what? I'm in this Bible study every Sunday morning at 9.30. Ladies, I'm in this Bible study every Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Guys, I'm in this Bible study every Tuesday or every other Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. Bring them along. Help them grow with you in their knowledge of the word. If I were to try to give Philip a motto for his life, the little that we know of Philip in in Acts chapter 8, here's what it was. He lived to tell about Jesus. 
He took the gospel on the road, but just reading through Acts chapter 8, over and over and over again, it's all about Jesus. Talking about Jesus. And so my challenge for you this morning as I conclude is this. Will you live to tell? Will you make a difference in the life of someone? Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for the chance uh, for this quick look at Acts chapter 8 and for Philip and his life. And God, I pray that, um, that we'll be more like Philip in, in that willingness to, to take the gospel on the road, to, to share the good news of your son Jesus Christ. And that through it all, you'll, you'll open up doors. You'll give us avenues for, uh, for conversation. God, through, through it all, help us to never take our eyes off your son Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.